I want to just share this morning a little bit about building a healthy relationship with God. Building a healthy relationship with God. The Lord really desires relationship with us more than we know, more than we even understand. Not because he needs us, but because of his great love. Just because of his great love. And one of the things that we, I think many Christians struggle with, is we confuse the old and the new. And uh, it brings great confusion into the church. And we mix the old and the new. Now, the Word of God is the Word of God from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. It's the infallible Word of God. It's not going to change. It's God's Word. And we base everything we do, teach, preach, walk on this wonderful Word that the Lord has given us. But He relates to us in covenants. There's eight or nine covenants that God initiated that relates to us in. And today He relates to us in the new covenant. And so when we mix the old and the new, we bring confusion in, unfortunately. The old is as relevant today as the new, but the old is a shadow of the new. The old helps us understand and see into the new. The old, everything happened in the natural. They possessed a land, the promises of God. In the new, we don't possess a land. We possess the promises of God that he has for us, if you understand what I'm saying. Okay, they fought physical battles in the old. We don't fight physical battles in the new. We fight a spiritual battle. Amen. So you don't fight against your wife or your husband. I trust you don't. No. Vanessa? Okay, so we fight against the principalities, powers, rulers, and authorities in spirit realms. And so when we understand that's how God relates to us. He relates to us through the covenant that he initiated. And the covenant we're in today is the covenant of grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's how he relates to us. That's how he relates to us today. And it's a great covenant of grace. It really is. Grace is unmerited favor and truth which sets at liberty or sets free. Jesus came in the fullness of grace and truth. John chapter 1. Amen. That's how he relates to us. And so that's how he desires to relate to us. And so there's always much to be done in the kingdom, but the reward in the kingdom is never the fulfillment of the task. It's the relationship that he builds with us on the way. That's why I want to talk about it. Okay. It's the presence of God being fostered in your heart and my heart, or your heart and my heart. Let's put it that way. Okay. That's what it's about, fostering his presence, knowing who we are in him, that I'm in him, and he's in me. And because I'm in him and he's in me, we can do what he did. Because that's what Jesus said in John chapter 14. As the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. And because I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. You will be in me and I'll be in you. Therefore you'll do what I did. Because I only did what the Father did in me and through me. Because I was in the Father and the Father was in me. So you'll be in me and I'll be in you. And therefore you'll do what I did. Hallelujah. Alright, that's the simplicity of it. Okay. <laughs> it is, it is. It sounds simple, but it's, we've got to work it out, and we've got to walk it out. And so if you can turn with me to John chapter 10 and John chapter 9, John 9 and 10, and we just want to speak from this particular piece of scripture. We're going to actually go into John 10, but John 10 needs to be understood in the context of John chapter 9. 
Okay, that's not rocket science, it's just, a, that's the way it is. And in John chapter 9, we're not going to read the whole chapter, we're just going to look at one or two verses. There's a man that was born blind. He was age, he was probably around about a teenage or late teenage years. And this man, if you read in verse 6, Jesus came and having said this, he was speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he spat on the ground, he made some mud with his saliva, he put it in the man's eyes, he said, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed he was. Others said, no, he looks like him. But he himself said, no, I am that man. A little bit of confusion, because all of a sudden he can see. How then it is your eyes were opened? He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me, and I've underlined that in my Bible, to go to Siloam and watch, wash. So I went and washed, and now I can see. So this is what happened. And so this man, firstly in verse 11, he says he was a man, and his name was Jesus. He didn't understand who Jesus was. He just knew he had got wealth. All of a sudden, he couldn't see, now he could see. Just by doing, a, just in obedience to what this man, Jesus, told him to do. Now he can see. But this man progressed from calling him Jesus to a prophet. Because now he's confronted by some people. And if you go to verse 13, uh, verse 12, it says, Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought, to the, they brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. Now, on the day in which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. And in the Pharisees' eyes, that's a no-no. Okay. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he'd received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. And I washed, and now I see. So some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. Because now he's a little cornered. He's not too sure what is going on. He just knows, I didn't see, now I see. And so it was the man Jesus, well, now under pressure, he says, well, he must have been a prophet. Because he can't do that unless somehow he's come from God in some way or as a prophet or something relating to some of the Old Testament prophets in terms of what other stuff they did. So they decide to ask his parents, because they're still not sure. So they call his parents. And if you carry on reading, it says the Jews still not believe. So they call his parents and say, is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it he can see now? So now they're asking their parents. He was born blind, but how can he see? So the parents say, we know that he's our son, we know he was born blind, but how he can see now, or how his eyes were opened, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. So his parents said this, because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anybody that acknowledged Jesus was the Christ, in other words, the Messiah, would be put out of the synagogue. And there was a huge thing in those days. I'm going to tell you what that is now. That is why his parents said he's of age, ask him. So they weren't, in a sense, taking responsibility as a parents for his son because of the pressure and the fear that was put on them. They were backtracking a little bit. So a second time, they summoned a man who had been blind. Give glory to God. 
they said. Now they're getting very religious, using religious terms. We know this man is a sinner, talking about Jesus. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah. Amen. Something's changed. Something's changed. Then they asked him, what did he say to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? That would have infuriated these religious leaders. That infuriated them. Then they hurled insults at him. Imagine that. And said, are you this fellow's disciple? We are the disciple of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to godly men who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not do nothing. So he's confronting these religious leaders. To this he replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. Talking to this young man that could now... How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Now to throw someone out, they, it's severe punishment. Because what they're doing is they put him outside the community and he's allowed no contact with God's people of that day. They were excluded from the system of mutual provision and protection. They were not allowed to conduct business with anybody. They were excluded from all the sacred Jewish assemblies which entailed the loss of the required ritual sacrifices in the Old Testament. And they were excluded from that. They had no family, no money, no protection, and then no forgiveness, according to what the Pharisees were saying. So they were literally cut off. That's why the parents backed out, because they didn't want that to happen to them. Let's carry on reading. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and he found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of God? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I might believe in him. Then the man said, Lord, sorry, in verse 37, Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Verse 38, Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Revelation came upon this man. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world so that the blind will see and those see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees were with him, heard him say this and asked, What are we blind to? And Jesus said, If you're blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you see, your guilt remains. It's a very interesting thing because that's the context of John chapter 10. That's why I had to go through there. Because what Jesus is about to declare and preach is out of that context. When the scriptures were written, there were no chapter divisions. We put the chapter divisions in, just to make it a little easier. So it's one continuous um, event that's happening, if you understand what I'm saying. That's why you need to understand John 10 out of John 9. So we see in John 9... That when Jesus hears this, he finds the man and he reveals who he is, the Son of Man. And he's saying, the system may have cut you off, but I'm here. 
They can't see me, but you can now. Not only physically, but in your spirit. You can see me now. The revelation of who Jesus is, is more important than what he does. The man was blind, but knowing who Jesus was, released to worship even more than his healing. Because when he got healed, he did not worship. He just said, that man, Jesus. Then he called him a prophet. Now Jesus reveals himself, and he falls down and worships. And it's out of that context that Jesus now goes into chapter 10. You with me? So Jesus begins to, let's read chapter 10. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he is brought out, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Verse 7, Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will go in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it to its full, or have it in an abundance, and the abundance of life. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who claims the sheep, who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters them. The man runs away because there's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm going to get in and explain some of this. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I have laid down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them too. They too will listen to my voice. And let's, for the sake of time, let's go down to verse 25. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe, talking to the Pharisees again. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you did not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Just let me pause there. Folk, eternal life is God's life. It's not a destination we go into. The day you got saved, you received eternal life. That's God's life. You live with eternity from that day in your heart, from the life of God that is within. It's not somewhere where we're going. Amen. Okay. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I am the Father of one. So there's a lot being said in this, but I just want to say, uh, Jesus gives a view of how a relationship between him and his sheep was about to change. Because remember, he's talking to the Pharisees in the Old Testament. It was no longer going to be from the law, but from a relationship. 
And the guiding number one principle of this relationship is his voice. The number one, the main way he leads us and guides us is his voice. It's no longer a system. It's no longer a system of doings. It's no longer a system of law. It's no longer a system of having to do things. Ye, my sheep, ye, my voice. That's what he's trying to get through. That's what comes out of John 9. Because the man in John 9 heard Jesus speaking, he obeyed, and something happened. He could see. So Jesus said, no longer are we going to live by that system. We're now going to live. People are going to learn to live and hear my voice and live from my voice and my voice alone. It opens up to all who believe across the nations of the earth. It requires us to understand that there are many voices and to discern who is who. And I'm going to get into that now. The key for it all, he desires to communicate with each person, no longer through a mediator, no longer through a priest, no longer through a prophet. That's God and his people. Period. It's not through any mediator whatsoever. God says, Jesus said, my sheep, you're my voice. Not sheep, Jesus, somebody, 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 people. No longer through anybody else, but directly to you. Hallelujah. God, the creator of all creation, speaks to you and I. The God who said, let there be light. And there was light. The God who flung the galaxies into the heavens and he measures them with the width of his hand. That's what the psalm says. He measures the galaxies with the width of his hand. That God speaks to you and I. Ah, and that's his primary way of leading us. That's his primary way of giving us life. That's why Jesus is speaking about it out of the context of chapter 9. Jesus rose and died again to give you access to the Father to live with purpose, with destiny, and a future because of the relationship and access we've been given. He restored what was lost and stolen. He's restored it back. The voice of God. Hallelujah. That is great news. When I came to understand this as a young Christian, it changed my life. When I began to see that's the way Jesus operated, that he only did what he heard his father say or what he saw his father do, saw it eternally inside him. Very early on in our Christian walk, we were doing youth back in Cape Town in a city called Cape Town. I told a story yesterday to some people. And I'd recently got saved. I got saved at 33. Now in full-time ministry at 34, I'd never read the Bible in my life. I got saved and I went and bought a Bible and just started to devour it because God put a love in me for his word. So I just started to directly devour it, particularly the New Testament. And that's when I stumbled on this. Oh my, oh my. And so uh, we were in full-time youth ministry. Somebody graciously opened a door for us down in Cape Town. And we had some young people come and see Michelle and I. Our kids were still very small. And I remember the first time this young person came to see us and they were asking us some questions. And I didn't know the answer, I'll be honest. I mean, I'm a young Christian myself. I'm still, you understand the process where I'm at. And so I left my Bible in a room just further away. My office was just probably 100 meters away from where our house was. 
So I said to this person, listen, I need to go fetch my Bible. And I meant it. But on the way there, I said, God, I need help. Please, please help me. I need it. I don't know what to say. And I felt him prompt me to ask this particular young girl a question. So I got my Bible and I came back and I sat down and I said, I asked a question. And the question I asked, the response I got was not what I expected. She just broke down into tears. And I realized, whoa, I touched something here, but I wasn't too sure what it was yet. I was learning. You understand what I'm saying? So the next time somebody came to see us was a few days later, I left my Bible in that room. And I'd say, I have to go fetch my Bible. And I used to walk all the way there and i say, God, help me, help me, help me. And i come back and he would say, say this. And i say that. He was in, I did that for a year. I left my Bible on purpose in another room. Serious. That's how it started to develop in me. We need to hear the voice of God. Not through someone else directly. Amen. So, if you can put this first one up, please. So, in John chapter 10, there are many characters. There are character roles that we need to recognize in our Christian walk. Because that's what Jesus is talking about. So, in this John chapter 10, he says there's the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. But there's also the under-shepherds. That's church authority. Their main purpose is to point people to Jesus. That's their main purpose. Not to control. To point G people to Jesus. To open up the way so they can hear the voice of Jesus for themselves. That's their main purpose. Amen. Then there's other sheep. I cannot say I have need of you. Because there's other sheep. God puts us with other sheep. You understand? And sheep bite. Okay, very sorry. Okay, carry on next. Just push it up a little bit. Then is the enemy. Amen. The voice of strangers. Then is the wolves. Because Jesus said there's wolves. And wolves just meaning they're greedy. That's a direct, wolves will come and want to devour us. Then there's the thieves and robbers. And he was talking about the Pharisees and the false shepherds. Those who are supposed to recognize a true shepherd, but instead they don't believe in him. So they begin to own the sheep and control the sheep. All right? Then there's the hirelings. They're not shepherds. It is for personal gain. Hirelings are people that are in it for themselves rather than for the purpose of which God put them there to connect the sheep to him. And so when the first sign of trouble comes, they run. And Jesus is saying, all these characters will be part of your life and you've got to learn to recognize whose voice is whose. That's what he's saying. You've got to learn to recognize my voice above all these, these, all these other voices will be there. And you've got to learn to recognize which is my voice. So he was saying to the blind beggar, the blind beggar came to recognize who I am. And with all the knowledge that the Pharisees had, they did not recognize me. That's why he's talking about this. And it's interesting that the way Jesus outlines this relationship, which was new to them, starts with the ability to hear his voice and to know which source the voices are coming from. That's why he tells this whole story about sheep and, she and shepherds and under-shepherds and wolves and thief and whatever. So we understand it. These are the players that will be involved in our walk with Jesus to some extent. And we've got to learn to recognize who's who. You with me? Very important. When it comes to learning how he speaks, the phrase hearing God's voice is often used, but it unfortunately can be unhelpful because you already hear his voice. People in the natural are born with an ability to hear, but learning to understand, learning the language, 
the inflection, the tone, the body language, it's all part of communication. So I know there's a baby I saw. Where is you know, your baby? That baby is learning to hear the voice of mom and dad and grandpa and grandma and understand these are friendly voices. These are protective voices. These are voices that love her. These are voices that will care for her. These are voices that will protect her. These are voices that will literally lay their lives down for her. And she's learning that as she grows. You understand? That's what happens. It's amazing that you can be in a crowd of kids, and I've seen them at the play parks, and all the kids are up and down the swings, and the kids are screaming. You know what I'm talking about. And all the mothers are sitting on the bench chatting, and then one kid, and the mother, Whoa, that's my kid. It's amazing that they know that. It's amazing. And it goes the other way as well. Literally amazing. So we, because you're sitting here today, you can already hear his voice. But you're learning to understand the language, the inflection, the tone in which he speaks to you. And it's different for every person. And so I want to touch a little bit on learning to hear his voice and know how to recognize his voice. Because it's of such importance. Because his voice will give life. His voice will feed you. His voice will direct you. I'm going to go through some of these. His voice will sustain you. His voice imparts faith to you. His voice gives you direction. Gives you, his voice does many things. Because it's, folk, put it this way. I just want to make sure you understand this. When my wife speaks to me, I listen. I've learned that after 40 years. Okay? <laughs> Took me a while, but I learned it after before you speak. Okay? But when the Lord speaks, that's different. The voice of God does not originate from earth. Think about that. Therefore, everything that is on earth that wants to stop you, impede you, block you, uh, addict you, is from this realm. The voice of God is not from this realm. The voice of God is from another realm. And it's far superior to anything in this realm. That's why the voice of God can break and set you free. It's the voice of God that said, let there be light. It's the same voice and light. When the voice of God comes, within those words, within those sentences, contain the very DNA of God. Of all that that word will do to produce in your life to come to pass. I don't have to do it. The voice of God in my heart will do it. Because the voice of God inside me, as I believe it, will change me will change the way I think. It will change my desires and it will conform me to the image of Jesus so that I can walk in all that he's told me to walk in. It's not me doing it. It's his voice in me, his word in me that is doing it. That's why the voice of God is so important. When we don't hear his voice, we get into legalism. We get into rules. Don't do this. Don't do that. You must do this. You must do that. And Jesus is saying in John chapter 10, that's not the way I lead any longer. 
That's an old system. Now the new covenant is I lead with my voice and my voice alone. Hallelujah. Think about it. You can hear God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, speak to you. Let his voice be the loudest voice in your life. It doesn't come loud. It comes very gentle at times. But I find when I'm disobedient, it comes louder and louder and louder. <laughs> and then it comes through circumstances, and I fall on my knees and say, all right, Lord, I finally heard you. Who knows what I'm talking about? No. Not so he can trip me up, because he loves me. Amen. So Jesus is saying, learn my voice. I'm the one who will lead you and go before you. I'm the door. I will line the entrance so the wolf, the bear, and the lion cannot have access to you. If you know my voice, you will go in and have pasture, and you will come out and be well fed. I'm not a hyaline who's only there because I'm getting something out of you. I gave my life for you. I have taken ownership of you in a sense. I've set you free from sin that came when you listened to the stranger's voice and followed him. You will have such assurance that no one will snatch you out of my father's hand because I'm the one that will speak to you and I'll speak life to you. The abundant life. Amen. The continuous flow of his life, Zoe life, comes from a real general relationship. It does not come from someone else's relationship with him. That helps, but we are born again with an ability to hear, to learn, and to understand what his voice sounds like. All right, so how does God speak? Good question. All right. Number one. There's an audible voice. I'm just going to go through this quickly. I've got 12 or 13 because I want to get on to the end of it. There's an audible voice. We've seen that in Scripture. He spoke to Moses audibly. Okay. He spoke to Paul audibly. Paul saw he became Paul. He knocked him off his horse and he spoke to him audibly. Some people said they heard this like thunder and he heard this voice. I, in my own life, have never heard the audible voice of God. I've known one or two people that have, but it's, it's I just don't think it's a common occurrence today. I'm not saying he can't do it. He can. All right. The next thing is the inner voice. That's the thoughts. It's the impressions. It's the nudgings of God on the heart or in the mind. He uses our imagination of the person's heart, of the heart. The enemy cannot read your mind. He can only throw things up on the screen of your mind and hope that you partner with that. That's what the enemy does. He can't read your mind. So he throws things into you through his voice and he sees what we've done with it. And then he sees how we respond. And then he knows, I've got you. You with me? So that's why you need to submit your imagination to his will. And ask him how to teach you about your magic. Because he'll use your imagination. He's gave, given it to you. Amen. Number three, the Bible. Obviously. It's the main way he speaks to us today. And I don't have time to go into between the Logos and the Rhema. There's Logos. This is the, sorry, this is the Logos word. From Genesis to Revelation. This will never pass away. Never. It will stand forever. But this needs to come alive inside me. This Logos needs to become Rhema. Rhema is the living word of God. Jesus became the living. He became the Rhema. He became the written word alive in flesh. He became the Rhema of God. 
That's the rhema that carries the life. It's the, you're with me. So this you'd read and read, and faith comes by. How does faith come? Hearing. Okay, what is faith? Faith is the, the assurance of something we hope for. Hope is a stepping step to faith. Hope has to do with the mind. I'm getting this, something. That's what people think. I hope I get well. That's, that's fine. That's where we start. But faith, hope is the step into faith. You with me? Amen. So hope plays a huge part. So the Bible, I don't want to get into it. Sometimes it's a chapter and verse. Sometimes it's through somebody preaching. Sometimes it can be through the overhead. Sometimes it can be where you just draw aside. You simply go read. And I found in seasons, the more you learn the nudgings of the heart in you, where God wants to draw you aside just to go sit and read his word, those seasons become longer and longer and longer in you. And it really begins to really cement some word and theology and depth in you. Because he uses that to rise up and speak to you. He uses the furnishings of our mind and our heart. That's why I need to get it inside me. Amen. And then it reminds me. It just pops up in me. Out of the blue. Just, and I know it's God. Hallelujah. All right. Number four, the gifts of the Spirit. We touched on that yesterday, so we're going through that. Number five, visions. Where people had visions. You see, Peter had a vision. Remember Cornelius? He didn't want to eat certain meat. God gave him a vision. He still didn't want to eat it, and God really had to speak to him through the vision. And he said, all right, now I'll go eat. And that's where the gospel was opened up to the Gentiles, who came through a vision. All right, Peter and Cornelius, so there's many people saying, the mind's eye, it's using the imagination, a picture forms. All right, number six, dreams. All right, about one-third of the Bible wouldn't exist unless people responded to dreams. One-third of the Bible. So we need to understand and learn that. Not all dreams come from the Lord. Some just comes from eating too much pizza. But anyway, all right. God speaks through other people, even in natural conversation, even through unbelievers. I'm just looking for my water. So if we have an ear to learn to hear, yeah, phew, that's my dyslexia kicking in. If we have an ear to learn to hear, even through unbelievers, when I got saved, my father-in-law was not saved. But often when I listened to him, as God spoke to me through him. He was not aware of it. Amen. Because he can nudge you. Sorry, thank you. He can just... Something pricks you. They say something. <gasps> okay, Lord, that's you. I didn't need to take notice of it. Okay. Through other people, through angels. Be cautious about this. Never place angels above Jesus Christ, but he does. This, the Bible's full of it. Through circumstances, through an animal. God spoke through a donkey. Said to the folk yesterday, it's interesting. Nobody questioned the donkey. How come you speak? They actually spoke back to him. But anyway, all right. God speaks through songs, hymns, worship. He speaks through nature. He speaks to my wife a lot through nature. Just nature, the birds, flowers, plants, leaves, the seasons. He can speak to us. With me? Okay. So, that's the way. So, now, but we've got to learn how some practical points to strengthen God's inner voice in your life. That's because that's the main, he mainly speaks through the word and the inner voice. Those are the main ways. Okay. So how do we practically strengthen ourselves? Number one, know God's desire to speak with you. It was his idea, not yours. Get that in you. God, you desire to communicate to me. You desire to speak to me. You desire to tell me things. You desire to reveal things to me. 
you desire to tell things about my kids. If you're a parent, he will speak to you about your kids, I promise you. Not to uh, belittle them or whatever, but to help them, to guide them. He will. He will speak to you about it. When my kids went on their little sojourn, my son now leads a church, but in his late teenage years, he wasn't doing very well. God spoke to me about him. We had a prophetic lady come into our church, just as an interesting story, and we, I sat down, we knew her well. Her name was Kerry Southey, and I just said, Kerry, you know my kids are not in a good place. She said, yes, I know that. <laughs> you could see it. So I said to her, well, what do you think's happening with them? So she just sat down, she said, well, this and this and this. I said, oh, okay, thank you, that's helpful, that's helpful. She knew, just because of her prophetic insight. Helped us to pray. Helped us to do warfare for them what it did. Amen. Know your position. Know who you are in Christ. Know you're a child of God, a son, a daughter of God. Secure that in you because he speaks to his children. That's what he does. Okay. Strengthen the spirit within you. How do you strengthen the spirit within you? The presence, like any relationship requires time. You need time to strengthen the spirit. Pray. You need to spend time alone with him. Praise and worship. You strengthen the spirit man in you. Listen to the voice of your conscience. Your conscience, that's why he gave you a conscience. Okay, I'm going to touch on that now. Fasting. Very key. It's putting off the flesh. Uh, learning to discernment. Your spirit is made up of your conscience, your fellowship, and your intuit, intuit, intuition. The more you have fellowship with God and listen to your conscience, the stronger your intuition becomes. Amen. That's why even the unsaved have a conscience. They know right from wrong. Okay? But it comes alive when we become born again. So also be submitted to the authority in your life. I encourage you, folk. God will never go against the authority in your life. Children, listen to your parents. <laughs> Honor them. That's what the Bible says. Honor them, it'll go well with you. Because he's put you in that authority for a season. One day, you will be in authority. Leaders in the church. He's put them as authority. Not to control. Not to dictate. Not to uh, lord it over you. To serve. And that's what they do. I know these leaders do. To get underneath you. To lift you up. But listen to them. Because God will speak through them. Hello, you with me? Husbands, wives, I encourage you, learn to listen to one another. I really do encourage you. I told the story last time I was there. When I was newly saved, I went to fast for three days. I was six months old as a Christian. I read about fasting, so I thought, let's do it. What happened? I just thought, oh, that's a good thing to do. So I got permission from the guy who was leading the church. I want to go away for three days. I was so excited. I just took my Bible and a pen and a notepad. I was so excited. I'll be honest with you. And I drove to this place. It was out in the like a forest area. It was a little cabin there. I'd arranged it and I got there and I didn't have a light. I didn't have any food. I just had bottles of water and that was it. So it took five minutes to get organized. And that's it. And I changed your clothes. Now what do you do? Now what do you do? So I decided to open the Bible and read it and I found that didn't come very easy. So ten minutes I closed it. I thought, now what do I do? Well, let's pray. So... I started to pray, but that lasted about 10 minutes as well. I'm learning. I thought, all right, let's read the Bible. I thought, oh, no, let's not do that. Let's go for a walk. 
That was two and a half days of that. I'm being honest with you. It was not easy. And I was hungry. Jeez, I was hungry. And I said, God, speak to me, speak to me, speak to me. And I thought, no, next day you'll speak to me. And the same process up and down. And the hunger's kicking in. And you know what I'm talking about. And, and I, I said, Lord, I was last night. I'm going to sleep. I've got to go home back tomorrow. And I still haven't, you haven't spoken to me. And whatever, and whatever. So eventually the next day I climb in my car and I'm on the way home. And the Lord speaks to me. And you know what he said to me? Listen to your wife. <laughs> That's what he said to me. After two and a half days of fasting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in other words, he was trying to tell me just, you and your wife are together in this. And I will speak through her to you. I was a new Christian. I needed to understand that. You with me? So be submitted to the authority in your life. Watch what goes through your eye gate and your ear gate. I'm encouraging you. And cut the other voices out, the distractions. Put your cell phone for a down for a while, the busyness. You've got to cut yourself off sometimes, okay? All right, we're going to end. The Bible gives us how to respond to three voices. You can throw up the last slide and we're coming to you. You're all still with me? I hope this is helpful. You're with me, thank you. All right, oh dear, can you read that? If you can't, Lord, open their eyes, please. No. All right. <laughs> The Bible gives us responses to three voices. God is receive him. Can you read that? There we are. Thank you, Mike. All right, we're getting places. All right. If you can't read it, it's because you need to get prayer. No, I'm teasing. All right. The enemy is you resist him, and you've got to do this out loud. You don't speak it out. Resist him. Resist him with your mouth. And man, it's reckon. Yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. I'll recover that. Okay. So the enemy comes, and he will speak to you. The enemy will drive you. You'll become very driven, very ambitious. As a new Christian, that happened to me. Out of zeal. But it was fleshly zeal. You with me? The good shepherd draws you. He doesn't drive you. He draws you. He goes ahead. He says, come walk this way. All right? The enemy or ourself condemns you. It may sound like scripture even, very legalistic. It doesn't lift a finger to help you. It just points out your fault all the time. Who knows what I'm talking about? Okay. Whereas a good shepherd convicts you. Contained in his voice is the ability you need in order to fulfill what is just said. It points to potential. It encourages you. All right, the enemy will come and harass you. He torments you. It causes anxiety. God comes to harness you, to focus you. That's what he comes to do, to focus you, not to torment you. This is how you can feel. The enemy, it boils up inside you. The word for false prophecy in the Old Testament, as I can't pronounce that word, it means to boil up, to seethe, to act proudly, arrogantly. It causes pressure and explosion. Whereas prophecy, biblical prophecy, it bubbles up in you. The word for prophecy is naba, which for, it means to bubble up, to cause to bubble up, to pour forth with words abundantly as is done with those who speak with divine emotion of mind. It just begins to bubble up in you. It doesn't boil up in you. It's not pressure. How many of you ever felt under pressure? That's not God. Never feel under pressure, people. When you're in the business world, you feel a pressure to, don't feel pressure to do certain things. If you feel pressure, say, give me some time. God's in a rush. 
He waited 120 years for Noah to build the ark. He waited 120 years. That's a man's lifetime today. More than a man's lifetime. God's in no rush. All right. Um, the enemy will make you sin conscious. In other words, he focuses on you. He helps you focus on your faults and your sins and your mess-ups and your mistakes. Whereas a good shepherd become God conscious. He fixes your eyes on Jesus. All right. The enemy will fear. In the garden, we heard your voice. We're afraid, so we hid. The enemy causes fear. Where the good shepherd, faith comes from hearing, not fear. It's not, we're not afraid. Okay, whenever I feel in a rush, even today, and sometimes when you stand up and preach, for those who preach or teach, you'll know what it's like. There's a bit of a pressure. I'm just being honest. You feel like you don't want to let people down. And so this pressure rises, and I've learned to just say, no, Lord, I'll just relax. It's not about me. It's about you and your word. You can do it despite me. You're with me. I just cause myself to relax and relax as best as I can. All right, next slide, young man. Thank you very much. And then the desire to be in isolation. Because in Genesis, we are afraid, so we hid ourselves. Proverbs 18 says, He who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against wise judgment. The God will never desire. He'll draw you aside to solitude, but he's not going to isolate you. Come away with me and pray. But he doesn't isolate you from other people, from Christians, from his people. So you'll get a spontaneous positive thought. Thoughts of those that contrast with the names and the character of the Holy Spirit, including the edifier, comforter, teacher, creator, healer, giver of life. And we assume come from the Holy Spirit. Those thoughts always point towards God and cause our hearts to turn towards God to do his will. Okay, the Hebrew word literally means to strike or to alight upon. It's a spontaneous thought that comes literally out of nowhere. You're driving your car and you're thinking about, uh, I don't know, uh, the cubs or whatever you're thinking. All of a sudden, this thought that comes out of nowhere, nowhere, phone so-and-so and just encourage them. Well, the devil won't tell you to do that. It's God speaking. It comes, it's, it's a spontaneous positive thought. It just comes out of nowhere. Hello? Amen. You with me? Yeah, that's how it works, people. And the more we can learn to recognize that, the quicker and easier we recognize as it comes. Then the spontaneous negative thoughts, it comes from the enemy, and this will line up with his name and character of Satan, which includes the I will, the accuser, the adversary, the liar, the destroyer, the condemner, the thief, the murderer. His goal is always, all of these thoughts, is to pull you away from the Lord and the life that's in the Lord. I don't even know what I'm talking about. You're driving along and all of a sudden the thought, oh, I didn't do very good today. If you're a preacher and you know what I'm talking about, for those who preach, you step down from the pulpit, you go home and you think, oh, jeez, I should have done this. I should have done that. Why didn't I do this? Why did I say that? Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's the enemy. That's the enemy. That's all it is. And then there's the analytical thoughts. They come from you and me, the self. They reason. We reason things through. There's nothing wrong with it, provided it's reasoning in terms of pointing us in the right direction. Because sometimes we can reason ourselves out of something. Amen. God has given us ability to think things through. He hasn't kissed our brains goodbye. All right. So I hope this has been helpful to you. Yeah, because that's his number one way he will lead you, is through his voice. His number one, through his voice.
That's why I wanted to preach on this, to help him. That's how you build a strong relationship with Jesus Christ. That's, and if you're not sure, speak to somebody. If you're making major decisions, speak to someone you trust. You don't want them to make the decision for you, but just say, what do you think? I need your perspective. Okay. And if somebody comes and asks you, don't tell them what to do. They've got to make up their own mind. We don't con control people. I'm not saying anybody's doing that, but it's just helpful. Well, I think maybe you should try this, or have you tried that, or maybe God is saying this. It's just to help. We need one another. We need wise counsel. It's a Proverbs talks about it all over the show. Amen. All right. So, if you're sitting here tonight, how much time have I got? Sorry, I went on a little bit long. But I just really want to get this through. I want to encourage you to have a desire to hear his voice. You can hear it. But a desire to begin to understand it quicker. Grasp it quicker. His inflections. Because when you know his voice, how long have you to be married? Sorry, 11 years. All right. The 11 years. And I've been married 40 years, okay? First 39 are the worst. No, I'm teasing. Okay. <laughs> 11 years. So this couple can stand across the room... And she can look at him with one look, and he knows exactly what she's saying. Who knows what I'm talking about? Okay. It's true. Same. That's how he wants you to hear his voice. Or you just pick up the nuance, in a sense, the way he will look at you. The way he feels about you. And he always feels positive about you. Never negative. Never negative. Always delights in you, cherishes you, loves you. I laid my life down for you. And you can just pick it up sometimes in that, in that sense. It doesn't have to say anything, but you just sense it. That's where he wants us to grow. I found in my early Christian walk, he would give me a sensation before he spoke to me. I'd get butterflies. Get I know he's going to do it because I get so excited. I could feel it inside me. Oof. Then, after a while, that left. And so I struggled for a season. God, is where are you gone? Because the feelings went away. But he was saying, no, now trust me just in my voice, not in the feelings I bring with my voice. Hello, you with me? Because he's training us, just like you train a kid to hear your voice.